Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today we've got some news to talk about, um, some a bunch of small stuff, really. And uh, if we have time, we might play a, a little bit of a game at the end. Um, as always, you know, we'll, we'll start with the stuff that uh, is less fun to talk about, that's for sure, but uh, very important. And, and that is um, uh, an absolutely bizarre situation with uh, Blackhawks owner Rocky Wirtz. Uh, um, in a press conference yesterday at the time we're recording this. Um, basically what happened is Mark Lazarus of The Athletic asked him uh, uh, a question that I don't know what the panel was for, but I, I guess it was just for about the future of the organization. And uh, Lazarus asked what they're doing um, to basically make sure uh, the Kyle Beach situation does not happen again. And uh Wirtz absolutely freaked out on him and went off and said, we're not looking back to 2010. We're looking forward. We're not going to talk about 2010. Uh, we're not going to talk about what happened at all. He just, he, he, um, and then another member of the media stepped up and said, uh, um, attempting to answer Lazarus question, I guess. And Wirtz yell, interjected and screamed, that's none of your business. It's none of your business. What we're doing today is our business. Uh, Absolutely fucking crazy. Just the most pathetic and insane thing I have seen. And it is uh, uh, very clear that Wirtz just wants to, he hasn't learned anything from this and wants to just sweep this under the rug. It's pathetic from uh, a franchise perspective and just overall, it looks horrible on the league and team. Yeah, they've they've learned nothing. Not that that probably surprises much of anyone, but. Yeah, the, the Blackhawks are not a good organization. No, and, you know, uh, and then that's so I, I'll just read some more of it here. He, you know, uh, so Wirtz went to Lazarus saying, I think you should get on to the next topic. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Uh, and then he also refused to answer Phil Thompson's question uh, from the Chicago Tribune, uh, you know, when he followed up about it as well. So I just... <sighs> I just have no other words other than it's absolutely pathetic, especially from the owner. He then came out and made a statement saying he's sorry and that he went over the line uh, with the with the reporter. Ever, it just it, it was clear that that was just something that his PR statement whipped up and said, "Here, quickly tweet this out so it's uh, uh, doesn't look quite as bad." But I, again, like that was just it, it was so just cowardly. Yeah. Yeah, like you know some overworked intern was like, oh, sitting there at their desk being like, oh, my boss is an idiot. I got to whip up this PR statement quickly. Yep, and here's the statement. Tonight at the Chicago Blackhawks Town Hall, my response to two questions crossed the line. I want to apologize to the fans and those reporters. And I regret that my response overshadowed the great work this organization is doing to move forward. We have the right leaders and right process in place to create a safe environment for our employees and players. Doesn't talk about what that work is. Doesn't talk about the situation at all or, you know, why he was in the wrong to try and even insist that they shouldn't be talking about it right now. Um, Just it's literally embarrassing. And it's so painfully obvious that they just want to sweep this under the rug and, and, and hope that everyone forgets about it. You know, in the pitch meetings where he's like, they ask a question with like a loophole in a movie and he's like, I want you to get all the way off my back about that one. Yes. That's basically what the Chicago Blackhawks just said to the reporters. I would like you to get all the way off my back about the sexual assault that we covered up. Yes, at 100%. And again, like uh, 
I just, I, I really don't have any words for it. It's so stupid. Like just how a, like even, I just, I, I can't imagine thinking why that would be a good answer to anything. You had to know coming into a press conference about your future that that is going to get brought up. How do you oh, not have something even planned? Like you're presumably successful somewhere in life. I don't know exactly what this guy did or if he just got the team from his dad or something. But like, yeah, you would think you're smart enough to understand that that freaking question is coming. Yeah, like I just, uh, I, I, I'm literally at a loss for words. I, I don't, the, the one thing I did want to say, and, and I tweeted this too, and it's a very low bar and I don't think people deserve praise. Um, but I think it is important to say that uh, um, it's good on the local media there for not just letting this story die either. Um, you know, I, I don't think we need to praise them and say, uh you know, all they're doing, you know, all they can or whatever, or, you know, like, you know, like they're doing their job, but again, the bare minimum in hockey doesn't always get hit. So I think it is worth it to uh, the Tribune writer and Mark Lazarus of the athletic. I apologize. I'm just trying to, I forget the Tribune writer's name um, for actually following up on this stuff, Phil Thompson uh, for actually following up on this stuff. And not only them. So they started obviously that promo of this answer. I think it shows to how big of a deal it is that like, Every large media member, Wayne Gretzky came out and was overly critical of the, or like very fairly critical of the Hawks organization on TNT hockey. Wayne Gretzky had the quote saying like, if I was a parent of an 18 year old and he got drafted to the Hawks, I don't know if I'd feel safe sending him that organization right now. Yeah. And it's so difficult to get Wayne Gretzky to say anything. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, he went and said that much uh, should just scream all you need to know about it you know yeah absolutely so um and you know like i saw i think it was uh elliot friedman had spoke or had said something in reply saying found disgusting i saw craig simpson of of hockey night in canada as well say something um you know so like there's a lot i've seen a ton of media speak out about it and um again like that's just not something that used to happen um and i i don't again i don't think that uh um doing the bare minimum deserve means that we should praise them forever. But at the same time, like it's at least better than it not happening. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's nice to see something heading in the right direction because very few things are. Yes. At 100%. Um, so I, I don't like, do you have anything else to say on the situation? No, I don't really think so. It wasn't surprising, but it was still pathetic. It's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah, like it's, I just can't get over how disgusting it is. I like, what a pathetic person. Yep. Like, yeah, exactly. Your organization dug this hole. Um, I think it was uh, Down Goes Brown that tweeted, uh, we're not looking better. We're, we're not stuck in 2010 or whatever, as they just hired uh, Patrick Sharp Patrick and Sharp. Marion Hosa to uh, oversee their GM search coming up. It's like, yeah, no, you're not stuck in 2010 at all. Yeah. Nothing says moved on like the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything more to say than that. It's just, you should be ashamed. 
it's just it's just so shitty for those who are in the organization that didn't do anything wrong too. Yeah, well, and I should say that well, you know when I say they haven't learned anything, I don't like. I'm sure there are people in this organization in the organization that have changed and have learned stuff. Yep, or weren't involved to begin with, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like right, like all the Blackhawks employees. Yes, and it's one of those things where I'm sure they're in a real tough position too because you know you you know, it's hard to balance doing, not even do, but, you know, trying to, trying to find what's right for you with also understanding that an NHL job is an NHL job, you know, like, yeah. And then being a part of the change. If you couldn't work for a company with terrible leadership, uh, there'd be a lot of our leadership who have done terrible things or covered up terrible things. There'd be a lot of unemployed people. Uh, in the world yes that that is also very true so um yeah it just I, I'm, I'm i'm frankly stunned to be honest that that uh they even allowed it to get to that area but uh, here we are so um speaking of uh teams hiring a general manager looking for a general manager the anaheim ducks i don't know if you saw this but the anaheim ducks hired a general manager today I did see that uh they ended up going with pat for um, who I, I think they've been without a general manager all summer now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's been a while if I remember correctly. I've always wondered how that works. Yeah, I, I think it was Bob Murray. Um, was it Bob Murray in the role, I think, as a, a president as well and general manager? Yeah, so it's probably not as big a deal when you got somebody like that. Um, yes. Who's your president or whatever? Exactly. Like I, I want to say, um, sorry, I'm just looking it up now. Did Bob Murray resign or not? Oh yes. He all, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. Bob Murray resigned from his post back in um, um, November uh, and enrolled in the alcohol abuse program with the NHL. And then that's why the uh, vacancy opened. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So I, I apologize for that, but uh, yeah. So uh, when it comes to Verbeek, um, definitely not an out of the box hire. Like we had talked about last week, uh, he won. He's a two time Stanley cup champion, but he has, he does have 16 years in uh, front office experience. Uh, he was an assistant general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. I uh, also served with the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, and, you know, so he, he was one of the guys, I believe, who followed Steve Eiserman from Tampa to Detroit. And now he is uh, running the show in Anaheim. So um, as always, like, I, I don't know, we try not to talk about too much about the person because we have no idea, obviously. But uh, it, it's interesting to see where this Ducks team is going to go, because they have definitely been a surprise this year. Um, it looked like, you know, they... They have a. Uh, they might have had even a good shot at playoffs. They've slipped a lot recently. Uh, they're still third in the division, but not by points percentage. I don't believe they have fifty-five points in forty-eight games. Uh, the Flames have fifty-two and forty-two, and the Oilers have forty-nine and forty-two. Um, so the, the Ducks have definitely slipped a little bit recently. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they what they do long term here. I, I there's been some talk that they might even want to not sell the deadline. I think that would be a huge mistake. I, I think they have to sell at the deadline. I don't care what your young guys think. Yeah, like this, it's just not like these statements irritate me so much where the teams come out and be like, oh, we can't sell. Like if you really think Trevor Zegers is that fragile, 
that selling at the deadline is going to ruin his career, maybe you shouldn't put so much resources into Trevor Zegras. Yeah, like everyone talks about intangibles until they want to conveniently ignore it because the room's all crying that you've sold when they were in fifth in their own bad division in points percentage. Like, Yeah, also like one of the dictionary definitions of being a boss is sometimes you have to do things that people don't like, like your employees don't like. That's the whole reason you have a boss and not, uh, not a bunch of employees running the show. <laughs> That's like literally the point of the job. Yep. Um, And like they're in this spot this year because of like a Troy Terry breakout season. And, you know, like John Gibson looking back more back to normal at times, like everything's kind of gone right this season. It's like if it takes everything breaking right for you to be the fourth best team in a bad Pacific division that should be enough right there to scream that this team is not ready to contend right now. Yeah. You're not a good team. That's sorry. You're not a great team. You're a fine team. And that is a, okay. That's actually better than a lot of smart people thought you were going to be. So you're playing with house money here. And the thing is too, like some teams I could see, like if you want to tell me that the shark, if the sharks were in this position and you want to tell me they shouldn't sell, purely because they basically don't have anyone to sell, I would be okay with that. Yeah, the like Ducks have, they have no future. You can yeah. do stupid win now stuff if you have no future. Like the I saw an article with the Penguins resigning Brian Rust, even if it screws them in the future. Like you can do that stuff if you have no future. Uh, when all of your good players are like 21 years old, you do not want to make those moves. Not to mention, the players they could trade could significantly boost how good this team is in the future. Ricard Raquel, Hampus Lindholm, and Josh Manson are all UFAs this year. I bet you every single one of those players could get a first-round pick back. Oh, probably. That's maybe, the thing. Like, if it's for a fourth-round pick, maybe don't piss Trevor Segress off. Uh, like They have huge assets. Yeah, like Lindholm you're getting a first and a prospect for. I bet you Manson, you're getting the same because mainstream media, media seems to love Josh Manson. Yeah, even though his numbers have fell off, you're getting the bag for Josh Manson. Ricard you know Raquel. Like, Leaf fans are clamoring for Josh Manson because he was posted a good RAPM chart in, like, 2019. Yeah, and, like, Ricard Raquel hasn't been good in three years, but his value seems to be still even higher than I would argue how good of a hockey player he is at this point. You could yep. easily, and, and it's more even with Raquel, it's more about not paying him a disgusting next contract because he makes 3.789 right now. He's going to want to, I bet you he's want to double his salary and he is not going to be worth that. I do actually think that's the most important thing because you have Zgras and all these guys, just don't do anything impressively stupid. Like that's your goal. Yeah. If you're not going to go on a full sale here, please don't double down and tie up a ton of cap space long-term because they already have Henrique at 5.8, who's 31 for two more years. Silverberg, who's 31 at 5.25 for two more years. Uh, Fowler, who's 30 for four more years at six and a half. Obviously John Gibson, 6.4. You're not complaining about that particular one, but it's not like, like they do have some lengthy contracts for guys who are already getting older. If you then go and extend Lindholm, Manson, and Raquel, or even two of the three of them to like six plus, seven plus million dollar deals, 
you have tied up a ton of cap space to guys who probably aren't going to be that great in two or three years. Yeah, a hundred percent. And when, like, if they're going to be good, it's going to be because Troy Terry and Tur- Trevor Zegras and them were stars. And if they're going to be stars, you're going to have to pay them a shitload of money. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I really hope that they sell all three. Um, I think the, the rumor out there was they were definitely looking to move someone like Manson. Like it didn't, I don't think I, I should probably check that, but I thought I had heard that the contract talks weren't going like, like great. That's for sure. We're even having serious contract talks with him. Like I get you on do your due diligence or whatever, but yeah. And just, but like, you, you know, like NHL teams hate cutting bait with players that they grew. Yeah. Like, like the, you the, Plug Manson's uh, statistics into the simplest salary calculation model. Take $3 million off of it. And then you'd still be like, oh, this is probably way too much money to be giving this player for long term. And you know he's not going to just give you a $3 million AAV discount going into negotiation. So why even bother? There are not enough hours in a day. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, don't know. Like, I legitimately think you could probably get – minimum two firsts, a second, and a couple fine prospects for the three of them. And like yeah. how much oh. better is your rebuild looking then? Because you had you could have three or four first round picks over there. You know, you could have like four or five first round picks over the next year or two. Like even if you take next year's first or if it's this year's first, whatever, right? Like you yeah. could have three or four first round picks, you know, five picks in the top uh 64 or whatever. And go from there. And then even if you don't want to use all those, you can go and use those assets to pick up players that are actually good, like a Kevin Fiala or something in the offseason. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say, because if you're worried about making Zegra sad, um, you know what you can do with a first and two seconds? You can go out and get this offseason's Pavel Bushnevich and Car- Connor Garland. Done. Now, uh, now you have great surrounding talent for uh, your young stars, too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like people overrate the hell out of that stuff. And it's 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 really a comical thing when people say, well, you know, like a question that uh, on Puck Soup that Lambert always gets asked is just like, well, would you if you were running a, G- a team, like, would you just not sign anyone over 30? And he just goes, yes. Yeah. No, like, no, no, I wouldn't. Unless they're like oh, superstar level. Right. Like, yeah, like literally top 10. Bergeron sign. Sure. Yeah, but like he said, even like players like Landeskog, and I think he's right. He's like, if you sold on a player like Landeskog into the last year of his contract, you would get a haul, and I bet you you could flip that haul for a player that is not much worse than Landeskog, like a Thomas Hurdle type or a Timo Meyer, who is four years younger than Landeskog. I bet you it would probably cost you less to get them than it would, like you would get more assets for Landeskog than it would cost you to get like Timo Meyer. Oh, absolutely. So... Um, yeah, like I, I feel like it's it's very overrated how quote unquote hard it would be to you know make moves or whatever. Like it just I, I don't know. Like to me, it seems like it would be way more straightforward. Obviously, they're not going to Ryan Getzlaff's their other big UFA. It's pretty clear. I don't think he's going anywhere. It seems like he's going to want to just retire a duck, and that's fine by me. That's the one guy I'm very okay with them just keeping. Just keep signing the one year deals if you want. That can be your quote unquote veteran leadership, and there you go. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't really have any more on that. It'll be interesting because the Ducks, they are way better than I was expecting them to be this year. But 
there's another team where I kind of look and I go, what are you? Because I mean, Drysdale looks like he's got potential. Like he, Drysdale does kind of pass the eye test where it's, you know, he's definitely got the traits, but his underlying numbers have been horrid. Yeah, he's got shades of young wrist alignment out there. Yeah, exactly. Zegris has definitely been, you know, Zegris, I don't think has been controlling play to the degree people might think either, but he's got clearly got the skill and talent and Troy Terry's solid. But then again, like this team just to be okay, needed John Gibson to be like a top 10 goalie again. And it's like, how confident are you going to be that, that he's going to be that to his thirties? I, I don't know. Like I, maybe, maybe not. I, I really, I really don't know. Too confident is the problem. Yes, and then like they do have some good like I'm pretty sure they have a pretty good uh, prospect pool as well. Like Mason McTavish is looks awesome. Jacob Perot is another player, right? So they they definitely have some guys on the way that should help this team. But it's like they kind of feel like the one uh, a team that's just like could be kind of stuck in that uh, middle ground of like they're fine, but they're not really a cup contender either. Yeah, it looks like they could easily be destined for that, unless like Zegers and Terry have a whole nother gear. Yeah, or yeah, again, like if they if they sell and get three pick, like three top sixties. Let's say two first, a second, maybe they get a fourth, and then some kind of prospect. I, I doubt if you're getting a first, you're probably not getting an A plus prospect. But for like someone like Manson, I could definitely see. Like if you use the Toronto model, I could see the price from media being pushed as like a first and like a Nick Robertson type prospect who's been, you know, dealt with some injury stuff, has potential though, maybe a little less than Robertson if you want to go there. But like, I'm not saying the Leafs should do that. I'm just saying I could absolutely see that's what they'd be asking for. And I could see some team paying a price like that, right? Like, oh, 100%. So then all of a sudden you have four darts to hit in the next or five darts between the first two rounds to try and throw what's supposed to be a pretty solid draft class. You get another prospect or two, maybe to mix in there as well. Suddenly maybe you have one of like Mason McTavish hit, uh, maybe like Olin Zellweger on the back end hits. And then one or two of the guys that you picked up, whether that be picks or, or prospects even just becomes like a good second line player. And then suddenly you have a bunch of depth looking for that's in their twenties at the same time. Yeah. hundred percent. But you know, you, you don't get that if you just stay the course and keep Lindholm, Manson, and Raquel. So, yeah, you have to finally be willing to cut bait. Yeah. Um, all right. Another piece of news is Ovechkin does it again. Uh, I don't know if he, I, I want to get your take on this too. Uh, so, Alex Ovechkin, it was announced that he's going into COVID protocol um, and he missed last night's game against the Oilers and he will miss the All Star game because of it. Uh, this is not the first time that Ovechkin has mysteriously had something happen to him right before the all-star game so that he could not go to the weekend. I believe a couple of years ago, it was a leg injury that he, he deemed himself out for. Um, do you think that he, like, do you, do you think it was an actual positive test? I'm, I'm very curious because like lying about a COVID test seems bold to me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's an actual positive test. They they don't have enough to gain. Like Ovi's not went to the All Star game just for shits and giggles plenty of times before. He, he's taken the suspension, so like that's what it like. Because I saw a bunch of people hinting online that this was just like a very convenient thing, and I won't deny it because it's not like he has missed. But yeah, I was kind of just like, well, like he he has had no issue just being like my leg hurts or 
straight up. I think two years ago he was like, I'm not going. I'm taking the one-game suspension. Yeah, yeah, he straight up has taken the suspension before. So, like, why would he not do that again? But, you know, maybe he could say, I don't know. Like, but either way, he's out of the All-Star game. Um, whether it was an actual positive test or he just didn't want to go, maybe it's both too, right? Like maybe he didn't want to go and, um, you know, it's unfortunate that a big test of positive right now, but um, that leads, leads us to a bigger question of how to make the all-star game more, inc- not inclusive, but make people want to go to the weekend because uh, it is the biggest joke in sports right now. Like you, you have the big four sports, right? Football, they have the Pro Bowl. People don't love the Pro Bowl, but it's at the end of the year. And the players just kind of go because it's in Hawaii. It's nice and warm. No one is in the playoffs who's going to the Pro Bowl anymore. So they just kind of like, I don't, unless like you know better than I would about this, but I don't usually see too many players just openly being like, no, I'm not going to Pro Bowl weekend. No, it's kind of like a meme. I'd say it's pretty similar to the NHL. People don't really care so it's yeah. more physical sport so people hate the game more but exactly and like but so pro bowl weekend has been focused a lot more i found on the saturday where they do all the silly little skill stuff like dodgeball and like the one year they had russell throwing like they had the qbs throwing into the targets but then they also had a cornerback trying to pick them yeah yeah those were and like cool. Yeah, it was just like little events like that to actually try and make it fun. So that was their quote-unquote skills competition. Uh, and then you have baseball, which again, like, I feel like that's probably the most competitive out of all the games. Uh, people really see they used to play for who gets game seven of the World Series. Uh, they stopped that because that was pretty stupid. Uh, I mean, granted, it is a fine way to maybe try and provide a couple people want to try. But the thing is, like, realistically, only a fifth of the team even had somewhat realistic hopes of being in the World Series. So it's like, the other guys still don't care. Like if you're an all-star on the 30th best team or like the, the worst team in the league, you don't care if your conference wins world series game seven or not. Right. Like, no. So, um, and then, and then you have basketball where that, that is absolutely the biggest one. And so what I wanted to pitch to you is just like, cause I said, you know, how can we make this better? And I really think that they should focus it on what basketball does and basketball the game is nowhere near as big as the weekend. Um, the, the, they make the whole weekend the event. They have, you know, the slam dunk competition, the three-point competition. Those are the marquee events. And they bring the best players to these things. And this is the biggest thing I wanted to touch on. The best change I think the NHL could make for these competitions is not having to bring one player. I have one player from each team on the all-star teams. Yeah. Bring well, so your like- – go Go ahead. Like, I've been doing some draft stuff recently, hopefully, for a paper at some point. And it's something I kind of noticed relative to other sports is, like, you'll see on Wikipedia or Hockey Reference when you're looking at draft list players will be, like, a special color who were an all-star. Like, that just means nothing to me. Yeah, like, it, and like it should. An all-star should mean something, but it means literally nothing. Yeah, like when you have like Leo Komarov as an all-star, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. so that that's – and like this – I forget what podcast I was listening to, but they were having a discussion about this. Like even like – I don't think – could you tell me who the first team all-stars were last year for like the end of season? Oh, God, no. I couldn't tell you either. I know one is Mitch Marner because Mike Johnson brings it up when people criticize Marner. But Mitch Marner was named a first-team all-star right wing last year. I'm sure. So like – 
But like that, that's my point. It's like it's not a big deal. The NBA, the it's, first it's, team, second team, all star is all anyone talking. They talk about almost as much as MVP. Yeah, you see it a lot in the NFL too. Be like, oh, this guy's like a three time all star. This guy's a six time all star. Whereas in hockey, it's like uh, nobody gives a shit at all. Yeah, and it's just so it's just like. A, I think they should build that up more, but it's got to mean something too, right? Like, um, but uh, when it comes to the actual game, if you want to bring one player to each team to the weekend, that's totally fine. But have Nick Suzuki do like pa- a passing thing in the skills competition or whatever. Yeah. And leave him out of the game because I don't, no one needs to see, no, and I know offense to him, he's a fine player, but no one needs to see like Nick Suzuki of the horrid Montreal Canadiens who has like, 20 points this year in an all-star game. Well, that's the other thing. Like I get the concept. It makes a vague amount of sense on paper to bring someone from every team. But then if you just speak to human beings, like I've never met a Habs fan who's like, I'm excited for the all-star game because Nick Suzuki's there. Literally nobody fucking cares. No, like I told my dad it was all-star week. He's a huge Habs fan. Die hard. Told my dad it was how. All-Star Weekend this weekend. He was like, oh, really? Didn't even know that. Yeah. And and you know what he said, too? He goes, can you let me know when like, the skill competition's on? Because I don't want to miss that. I don't care about the games. Yep. So what, like, what I'm proposing is just like, yeah, if you need a player from each team, do that. But take it to the skills competition. You know, like. Um, but you could kind of niche then, too. You could like bring Dylan Larkin from the Red Wings just for the fastest game. Exactly. I was just about to say, like, you could argue, I think, that Drake Batherson was uh, all-star worthy this year. But, you know, he got injured. It's like if you need a Sens player still and you're not sure Brady Kachuk should be on the all-star team because, like, William Nylander is almost doubling him in points or whatever, bring Alex Formanton and have him do the fastest skater thing because he is absolutely one of the fastest skaters in the league. Exactly. You could get you could do fun stuff like that because, like, Again, the, you're not going to care about the game just because Alex Formanton's there or Drake Fathers isn't there. Who are they sending? Brady probably now? Yeah, they're sending Brady now. Or, yes, they're sending Brady now. I couldn't remember if it was him or Shabbat. But that's what I mean. Like, I, I'm a diehard Suns fan. I don't even know who my team is sending this year. Yeah. Exactly. Because it just doesn't matter, you know? Like, send Matthews and Campbell. And I want to say Marner got in with that last man in vote. Oh, did he? Yeah, that's like. Well, like this is what I mean, but like format, it works against it too because it's like the Leafs, Panthers, Bruins, and Lightning have enough to fill the entire league All Star game, basically. And so they can stand is just artificially restricted because they're all kind of near each other geographically. Except this is the other thing: the NHL had this marked down. They had the best idea in the world about a decade ago. Have a draft of all the all-stars. Take yeah, your best. It doesn't matter who it is. Take your best. I don't know. How many do you want to put on a roster? If you're going to do the three on three, have four teams of nine plus two goalies. So take your Even best. More cool with three on three drafts. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause there'd be, more, there'd be so many cap. teams there. Yeah. yeah. So take your best and, and, you know, and, and say you don't need a certain amount of, defense or forward so see how they select people or whatever right like but take your best um 36 to 40 skaters and your best eight goalies or whatever and it doesn't matter what conference division they're from 
just nominate the best 40 to 50 players and have a draft. They did this, but then Phil Kessel was drafted last and it was all awkward, even though he got a goddamn car out of it all. And then Brian Burke freaked out at the everyone that, you know, it was, he hurt his feelings because he was drafted last. Give me a fucking break. That draft was the coolest thing. It was hilarious. Me as like a 13-year-old, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was. I knew that the guys were all just liquored up that night drafting. They were all actually having fun, and you actually got to see the personalities for once. Yeah. Well, that's, again, it comes back like, if these guys are so fragile, they can't be picked last at an all-star game. Like, Jesus Christ, give me a break. These people are at the top of their profession making millions of dollars. They know they're fucking good. Being at the All-Star Game should be enough to tell you that you're good. You know, and so, of course, like the NHL goes, oh, well, we can't have someone paid last. So they stop doing the event. The NBA, NBA picks it up, and it's one of the funniest parts of the year, just watching the two captains go back and forth drafting their team and stuff. Yeah, because, like, again, you're Phil Kessel. You can cry yourself to sleep with eight million dollars a year it's okay and you, you can cry yourself to sleep in the brand new car that you were given too like like because i guess uh, that argument is like you're supposed to feel bad for them but that is just such so i feel bad for the last player drafted in the seventh round of the nhl entry draft yeah not at all it's cool as hell you got drafted to the nhl it's cool no, no, but he you but he, he was drafted he was drafted last so yeah, he was the last one we should all feel yeah. bad for him and abolish his, the draft because of his it. feelings should be hurt yeah i don't i don't know what to tell you like it's, just, it's such a stupid league yeah. best sport worst league and, and like and again like I, I i get at this point that basically the all-star game is more for the city that's hosting it than anything else it's kind of like outdoor games where yeah. I, and I have heard, like, I've never been to one, obviously, but I have heard the activities are really cool around the All-Star game. And, like, especially for kids, it's awesome. Like, they have all that mascot. Like, they do, like, mini mascot tournaments and stuff like that, too. And, like, I heard, like, that's the kids love that. So, like, that's great. And that's fine. But, like, if you truly want to make the event a little more watchable, there's ways to do that. But you have to make it an event that everyone wants to go to. The reason the NBA one's so cool is that you have people who didn't make the NBA All-Star team coming to that weekend because it's a massive party that everyone wants to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, you, and if you make an enjoyable atmosphere, people are going to figure it out like it. Yeah, so I don't know, like it. And again, and like it's, it's in Vegas this year. And, and this should tell you all you need to know, that it's in Vegas this year and you have multiple people who just don't want to go. Multiple stars that don't want to go. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I just, the, the, the draft thing pisses me off way more than it should every time we talk about it because it was literally the go- most golden idea. It was the best. Yeah. And so they're just like, oh, my, I, we got to probably stop talking about this. But yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I probably won't be tuning in at all this. Maybe I'll check out the All Star, the Skills Comp. But I haven't watched an All Star game since the John Scott one when they introduced three on three. Yeah, I don't know last time I watched an All-Star game. I watched like half of the skills competition in grade 12, or no, in fifth year. So that's like five years ago now. Yeah, like I don't plan my night around it. It'll be like if we're having a couple drinks or whatever and it's on the TV, I'll watch it. But like I don't go, hey, we got to turn the skills competition on tonight. Like, Oh, guys, look what's on the TV. Let's all go watch it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It just... I, I maybe it's one of those things where it's just like we've just got to accept that it's not for TV viewers, but it, 
they they still push it as if they want it to be for TV viewers. The other thing is it's insane that this is our even happening, but they got to get that sweet, sweet money. So, yeah. And like I say, it's insane. It's happening. I get it's only a four day break. And I say this is probably a transition to, um, you know, COVID. I mean, I, it's, it's still bad. Don't get me wrong, but you know, most of the leagues headed at this point. So it's not like they really have to worry about it going and spreading to the other teams because like, 80% of the league isn't even being tested, right? And I think that they actually made it official that they're stopping, they're not testing asymptomatic players anymore unless they have to cross the border. Yeah. Um, but still, it's just like, it's one of those things. I was watching the Olympics today and the women's hockey tournament started uh, overnight. And um, it's good hockey, don't get me wrong. But I was just, I, whenever I watch the Olympic tournament, I just think, man, like, it, I get why they didn't, but it really sucks that the NHL players couldn't go to because the, I don't know if they've done this in the past, but the way they have it this year is they, the women's tournament starts now. The men's tournament doesn't start for another week. So you can watch most of the women's tournament and then the men's tournament separately as well. So both of them get equal amount of airtime. And I thought that was a great idea to get eyes on both of them. Um, but, you know, yeah, but now it's just kind of, I don't care about the men's tournament and I will only be watching the women's one. And yeah, even I didn't that, there's single game of the men's tournament last time. No, me either. I think I watched two periods of the gold medal game, and that was again, it was just kind of on at like 11 o'clock on a Friday, and I wasn't doing anything because we're in quarantine. So, yeah, but yeah, like it's just one of those things where it's a, it's a shame that the I, I, I didn't think I was like when they made the announcement, I was like, oh, that kind of sucks, but like, whatever, I understand. It's not even that big of a deal. But now that I'm like watching best on best hockey again, it's like, damn, I, uh, really want to see the NHLers do best on best as well. Yeah, it's almost like I go out of my way to avoid it too because it's like so painful to think about. You what know what you could be watching? Instead, it's just like a bunch of prospects and NHL has-beens. Yeah, it's like instead of watching um, Nathan McKinnon on Connor McDavid's wing, you're watching Eric Stahl, who in his prime was as exciting as like this team's fourth line maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, another thing, uh, I missed this signing, actually. Uh, so we can talk about it quick. The Minnesota Wild extended uh, Jordan Greenway to a three-year deal at $3 million per. What, is, uh, what are your thoughts on that contract? Did not even know this was signed. <laughs> Me, I, I thought it went really under the radar. They signed it on... Uh, the 31st, so that would have been Monday, or no, Tuesday. No, Monday, Monday, sorry, Monday. Which, yeah, I totally missed it until I was looking through stuff. And uh, the, the last year is a modified 18 no trade list as well. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Greenway is aggressively mediocre. <laughs> um, if the Minnesota Wild were a contract, they would probably be this one. Like, this oh. is just so perfectly. <laughs> I, like, no chill for the Minnesota Wild. Jeez, <laughs> I will not take that. They are a fun team, Chase. They have actually become they actually, watchable. That's, that's clinging to my prior of the previous like five years too hard. Um, but yeah, this is just the most like Greenway's not good. He's not horrible either. So whatever yeah, he, he's very mad like he's a fine-ish third line player probably yeah. on a really good team fourth line player maybe would a you, little much to be paying him but would you draft him in like the second round or whatever this is the kind of contract that leaves twitter would have a 
conniption about it. Well, normal team signs it and nobody cares. They're always yeah. kind of amazing to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Greenway's Greenway's probably a fine player, and this is probably a 400k overpay or something like that. But whatever. Well, we spent way less time talking about that than I. <laughs> uh, like, I don't really have much more to add, to be fair. But like, yeah, uh, that's the saddest part. It's just like, meh, whatever. Good for him, I guess. Yeah, and um, it'll be interesting to see what the Wild do because. Uh, they were rumored apparently to be interested in some depth center. And they said that uh, Ottawa was a team they were talking to, um, which I think it was Friedman who said that. And then they linked to like maybe Colin White. I don't understand how they fit Colin White's contract under the, the cap with the cap crunch they have coming. I think Colin White makes 4.5 for like three more years. And like 4.25, I want to say it is. And like, he's a, I think sense fans definitely underrate Colin White. They like, if you ask, since Twitter, you would think Colin White is the worst freaking hockey player ever to live. But in reality, he's just a third line guy who makes a little too much because they bet, you know, they lost out on a bet that they made. It was the first real 4.75 in his contract. And, you know, it was the first real long term gamble that they made, and it absolutely did not pay off. Um, but like, he's still a fine player. I just don't understand how the Wild would fit 4.75 under their cap for three more years when they have the Suter and Parise cap crunch coming. Yeah, I don't really know. It's kind of like the downside of the uh, the Drake Batherson contract. Like, if you're going to be happy with the Drake Batherson contract, you have to be willing to accept things like this Colin White deal because that's going to happen sometimes when you sign these kind of deals. Uh, I don't know why the Wild would want him, to be honest. It just like if if he made like two and a half million dollars less and had yeah, two years is. left, I, I would understand it. But yeah, like I just I don't really get it. Like if anything, like and I mean Chris Tierney's not good either. But if they truly want a depth centerman, they could just pick up Chris Tierney, who's a UFA at the end of this year, as their fourth C or whatever. Yep, that would make sense. And you like Chris Tierney's not fifth round pick, not a big. Oh game. yeah. Yeah, Chris Tierney's not going to cost you more than like a late or mid to late round pick, like a fifth probably. Yeah, for what it's worth, Chris Tierney, not particularly good, but at least he'd be cheap. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I That's one thing I brought up. I was like, I don't understand that from either side. And then another thing, Dorian was talking on Sens, Media, on Sens Radio today, and he was like saying how they're based. He basically wants the most the team that starts next year to be in place after this deadline and like kind of hinted that their first round pick might even be in play, which to that me seems like a horrible fire. idea. The only reason like you, you, a, you have to like top five, protect that. Yep. And B the, like the only player you should be trading someone like is like a Brock Besser type. Yeah. Like if you're swinging for the fences and you smell blood in the water and Elias Pettersson or some shit's on the table. Sure. Trade your first round pick, even though you're the Ottawa Senators. But I don't know if I would trust Dorian to make that trade. I for sure don't. Yeah, like, what about his trade? Like, what about his buying has made anyone confident in him? No, like, isn't his whole shtick? This is like Jim Benning syndrome again. Isn't his whole shtick supposedly that he's good at drafting? Yeah, well, it's like it's not even him. It's their head scout Trent Mann, who's like. And I mean, he had like since they've taken over, that Ottawa has found like a solid amount of good players and in later rounds. But like, 
yeah, like, I don't know. This is coming from a team that took a guy who most people are in like the second or third round and projects to be a fourth line player, 10th overall last draft. But that is some, that's the funniest part too. Like what are the odds this team just got lucky as fuck? I, I mean, uh, yeah, like I, I definitely think that uh, like people still even go back to the Mark Stone thing. And it's just like Mark Stone was, was like, the same group? no, he was, I was like, Mark Stone was back in 2010, which is like two managements ago now. Yeah. I actually have this up right now. I literally have this on my computer. Where do you think they rank in value above expected from uh, 2007 to 2014? Oh, probably really bad. There were some ugly drafts in there. But that includes the Carlson, Stone, and Hoffman picks and whatnot. Yes, but like they, I like that 2012 draft, they lit three first rounders on fire. I would say they're probably like 20th. Really good guess. They are 16th, which, if you know anything yeah, about so, statistic, is functionally the same as 20th. Yeah, so just like very average. They hit on some. They absolutely light a couple others on fire. Yeah, because for every Mark Stone, they just punted a first round or something like that. Yeah, and like to be again, this this crew took over, and I want to say 2018, maybe it was. I think it was the Batherson Formanton year, which is looking like a good draft. But again, like. It's, it's one of those things, and I will admit, like, I, I feel like every year, everyone who does prospect scouting is like, wow, the Senators just lit nine draft picks on fire. <laughs> and then you come back nine months later, it's like all nine of these draft picks are doing way better than I expected. It's like, yes, okay, there's probably something where, like, the public might be a little too low on it. But at the same time, three years of drafting is not enough to just definitively say these guys are unreal at drafting. A hundred percent. And they're also just, like, stupid about it because even if you understand that Pavel Datsuk will be the best player in his draft class, the smart thing to do is not draft him first overall. The smart thing to do is draft him in like the fifth round or something instead of the. Like you're yeah, well, to- and, and that's what I've argued too, where it's like, yes, even if they are, even if they are good t- talent evaluators, they have no idea how draft value works or just like perceived value or whatever. And the- if something's yeah. on for $6, you don't walk up and offer them 25 Yeah, and like it's just like everyone's like, well, all it takes is one other team to take that player. It's like, sure, let them then. If you are that confident that the 140th ranked player is actually the best in the draft, there might be something wrong with your scouting. Yep. Yeah, it reeks of overconfidence, right? You kind of believe your own bullshit if you hit on a couple. Um that the market was relatively low on compared to you. And then you can get grossly overconfident and pick a fourth line or 10th overall. Yeah. And like, again, even just for like, you're not going to hit on every pick and like, there's some that's just going to be bad luck too. But like, even it feels as if for every pick, like the, the Clevin one is, is the best example I can give. Like senators, there's some fans who are just taking an absolute victory lap because Tyler Clevin does like in uh, North Dakota right now, it does look like he is, a better prospect than maybe some people thought when he was drafted. The thing is he was trade. The two picks that are traded for him were like the world junior defenseman of the year or the defenseman of the tournament. Like the Leafs got a legitimate. Oh, great- Kobe, right? Yeah. And um, the Ford as well. Hinola. Yeah. So like, it's like the two, the, the two guys he was drafted for look better than he is. So it's yeah. like, even yeah, if you want to say that, 
yeah, like even if he becomes like a, a number six defenseman and you're trying to tout that as a, a successful pick, your complete failure to like realize you don't need to trade up to 16 spots for him cost you a player that, you know, might be a number four defenseman and a third line forward. That's so funny. Did you know, do you know how many points Tyler Boucher has in 17 games this year? With Boston College, it was like four, wasn't it? Three. Yeah, because he switched. He's with the 67s now. He quit college midway through. Yeah. Which I didn't even know you could do. It makes enough sense because it's semester, but I didn't even know you do. It was that bad that, like, yeah. He could double his scoring right out of the NCA and still be a replacement level player. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just. So I don't know. Like, it just to me, it's, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, people were even throwing, like, Connor Garland's name around. It's like, I like Connor Garland, but you should not be throwing a first round pick that is probably going to be from in the range of like five to 11 for Connor Garland. Garland. And I, I know the, the Canucks did last year, but that is not like, it's exactly yeah, what it should be. the Canucks. Exactly. Right. Like they gave up Dylan Gunther for him. It's like, again, I like Connor Garland as a player, but that is a guy you give up like a second round pick for not a first rounder. <laughs> Did you know Tyler Boucher has only been above point per game twice? And it was his U15 and U14 seasons. Yeah, like that, that pick was horrible. It looks even worse when Cole Sillinger was drafted right after him, who's like pretty sure has like 20 or 15 to 20 points in the NHL already this year. Yep. <laughs> like, scoring this guy in the NHL by a six. Oh, absolutely. It's like, and, and it's just, I get like people are going to miss, and that's fine, but like, yeah, to, to me, I, I do think there's definitely some middle ground of like where I feel like Sens fans are way too overconfident in the team's ability to draft. And there are definitely times where it's like scouts are probably too low on what they do. Oh, yeah. But, like, I'm sure there's, they're not complete idiots. But, like, but like, uh, the reality many- is for you to reach aggressively and consistently win means you need to be significantly smarter than everyone else. And if you can actually look at me with a straight face and say the Ottawa Senators are a lot smarter than everyone else in the NHL combined, God bless you. Yeah, I, like there's just no team that like the closest you get is Tampa. And even yeah. Tampa, the reason they're so good is because they don't reach on players. Yep. Like they just kind of took like a Braden point in the second round. It was like at the time that was just like, yeah, it's a fine pick. Granted, like you didn't see him being that that good, but it's not like. Like the players that Tampa took and that are now all-star, Kucherov, Point, even Sorelli and stuff like that. It was either guys who dropped farther than they should or players where it was just like, yeah, okay, that seems like a fine pick, you know? Yeah, well, I'm, I've got points actually rookie dad up right in front of me. Brayden Point scored like a first-round pick. He's just kind of short. Not even that short. He's only five foot ten, uh, which is like an inch or two smaller than league average. What is it? Probably six feet. Um, and they picked him in the third round. Like, that's the genius of the Brayden Point pick. Not yeah. randomly taking Tyler fucking Boucher or whatever his name is, 10th overall. Yeah, like, so, I don't know, like, like every team, they, they definitely hit on some prospects, and they're definitely going to miss on some prospects, right? Like, but the, the idea that you can just trade away your picks or whatever because Trent Mann and Dorian are these GOAT drafting geniuses, I just, like, that just doesn't make any sense. I would believe Dorian more if, like, last year they had a team that could have been 
most of this rosters this year. And they went, no, Eric Branstrom looked really good in like a top pairing role at the end last year, but we're going to go pay Michael Delzato two by two to come in so we could scratch him opening night. Well, that's the other thing. If you think Michael Delzato and like Nikita Zaitsev are going to help your decor with legitimate money and term, like you're going to have an even more difficult time convincing me you're a genius drafter because if you can't even evaluate the players who are currently in the NHL, how the hell are you going to predict who's going to be good in the 2027 NHL? Their pro scouting is the most disgusting thing ever. Yeah. It's so bad. Like it's just, it is horrible. Like it's impressive. I enjoy it. It's it's literally just a running meme on Sense Twitter about how bad it is. Because like year after year, they go and pick up like, and, and that trade that trade happened like what three years ago now. There are real people that were like, "Did the Leafs lose that trade?" There's that still people who say it because they're like Connor, they're like Connor Brown. Connor Brown is forty points or whatever. Did the Leafs lose that trade? It's like no, no, because Nikita Zaitsev is like the worst active defender in the NHL. Did did the team with 30k in cap space lose the trade where they dumped their garbage 4.5 million dollar defenseman for their fourth line right winger who's to say like connor brown would have to be like william nylander levels <laughs> yeah. of good to off put how bad nikita zaitsev is for that cap it yep so no they didn't win like oh it's just accountable and and in between that trade and now They've actively gone out and identified guys like Braden Coburn, Eric Goodbranson, Johnny <laughs> yeah. Oduya as guys they should bring in to supplement the right side of the decor with Nikita Zaitsev on it. Yeah, just a who's who of absolute studs. Oh, if like it's just... like all of those guys' best seasons, and that would still be a below average decor. Yeah, like I'm trying to like Johnny Oduya was good in what 2010. Yeah, he was on some of the Blackhawks Cup teams, right? He was the number four defenseman on a team that used three defensemen. Very, (laughs) very yeah, because he would just be the guy who would go out with Keith. Because then it'd be Seabrook and Jarmelson, I'm pretty sure. He was just like dude number four. Yeah, you're not a complete moron. Just uh, just play what we play, Johnny or Keith, 33 minutes a night or whatever. And they picked him up six years later than that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah good, good Branson hasn't been good in how long man like it's just it's literally and it, it, like you know what's funny when even like the staunchest Brandon. defenders of the Ottawa Senators know it's a meme about how bad the pro scouting can be yep like uh, it just it, it blows my mind um two Jersey retirements I don't I don't really have much to say on these Lundquist retired in uh New York just the most no-brainer thing in the world yep. Ever, all the yep. fans are uh, excited about it. Good for them. Good for him. Kind of wild that he only won one Vesna. That is um, pretty nice, actually. I feel like, but like when you think, like it's it's crazy to think about because of just how good he was. But his thing was also just like he was always like the third best goalie in the league on any given year. You know, he was like bankably good at a position where nobody's bankably good. Yeah, like just look at his save percentage. Um, obviously, in 2011 12, I think that was his Vesna winning season when he went 929. 
Um, but he goes 922, 917, 912, 916, 921, 923, 929, 926, 920, 922, 923, 927, 925. So, like, but for the bulk of his career, he was just kind of a 915 to 921 who has yep. posted some of the best like goal saved above expected seasons we've ever seen since tracking it. And like the one year where he dragged Price. his team to the, the playoffs or to the Stanley cup finals, that was the year that uh, Carey Price had his uh, heart winning season. Yeah. I've looked through a decade now of Henrik Lundqvist's uh, goalie RAPM charts. And I haven't found a single one where his expected save percentage was above league average. <laughs> yeah. Like that's it's uh, looks like. Wait, I'm almost there because I think they have his whole career. Yeah, his whole career, not a single time where they above league average in terms of shot quality at even strength for him. Jesus. Um, Just thought. Look like they were only within one standard deviation of average like twice, and it was at the end of his career too. I'm just trying to go back now quickly on evolving hockey and see if I can find where he was ranking and like, 2016, 17, because it, when a, someone brought that up to us last week, and I kind of thought that was crazy at first, too. And then I went, well, like, it kind of makes sense. It's not like Lundqvist was, like, obviously he was always very good, but it's not like Lundqvist was known to just be, like, this three- or four-year guy where he completely show, stole the show every year. We're like, I just looked at 2016, 17. Brayden Holby, or Sergey Bobrovsky posted a 45 goal saved above expected that year. Yeah, Sergei Bobrovsky's still on a good contract because of that season. Yeah, like uh, 2015-16, goal saved above expected. Hank led that season. Um, but his goal saved above average were was about eight, which is way lower. Um, so, you know, it was 11th. So, like, again, like it's – I don't think he was a slam dunk to win the Vesna that season either. Um, definitely shitting on him because of rank bias right after he retires, though? <laughs> oh god i i didn't need to be reminded of that tweet <laughs> that's all i think of anybody ta- anytime somebody talks about hank's legacy now this oh man <laughs> 14 15 was the stanley cup year he ranked 10th in goal saved above expected so it's not like he obviously had an amazing playoff run that year but it's not like he deserved the vesna that year either yeah, it's funny. That's the I've been looking through these RAPM charts for him. It's the one year the defense that he was good and the defense in front of him didn't suck at the same time because the defense got better when he was like 38 or whatever. So it's kind of yeah. Weird. And so I guess 14-15 was the year they went to the conference finals. The year before they went to the finals. And he was again third in expect goal saved above expected, but the Kerry Lettinen ranked first that year, but Kerry Price ranked second, and Kerry Price destroyed him in goal saved above average, and then was also above him in goal saved above expected. So it's like there was just a number of years where it's like it seems crazy to think about, but like he was just kind of the third, fourth, fifth best goalie. And that goes that that to me. I mean, it depends like that over a 15 year career, that is just as impressive as being absolutely dominant for three years or whatever, but you're just not going to rack up the accolades like that as much in terms of, you know, personal hardware. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, but yeah, an absolute no brainer there. And then the other Jersey retirement, that was the same night, which I don't know if they planned it before or after, but it feels like you, 
Maybe we wanted to wait to a different night than Hendrick Lundquist got retired, but Sergey Zubov got retired in uh, Dallas. Well, good for Zubov. Yeah, yeah um, I never really got to watch him. I played him with him in uh, NHL 06 games and stuff like that. He was a good defenseman back then from, you know, people who watched a lot of hockey in the mid-2000s and remember it because they were older than seven and eight years old. Um, people He's say he was one of the biggest – followings yeah people say he was one of the most underrated defensemen of his time and you know even like he had an 89 point season in uh, 93 94 which is kind of crazy um yeah 771 points and just over a thousand games uh finished his career with dallas played there for from 96 to 09 uh which i could they won a cup in that time i believe as well uh if i'm not mistaken in 99 i want to say they won the cup yeah that was Uh, the dumb one right yeah that was the foot and crease goal against the sabers um, and a bunch of long playoff runs with them too, like played uh, um, 17 playoff games, 23, 18, 10. So um, yeah, I think it's fair. I, again, I didn't really get to watch uh, Zubov, so I have a lot less to say, but um, a lot of yeah. people that I respect seem to love him when he played. So yeah, he had like, his, we don't really have much numbers on him, but he had like average ish outputs at the very end of his career which is probably a pretty good sign that he was really freaking good during his prime when he's old as hell and still putting up decent numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, other than that, I don't have a ton to say on that. No, I don't think so. Good for Zoom. Uh, Want to finish up with a quick round of uh, where do they play now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I got a couple more names here um, that I've just been putting down since, uh, uh, you know, we've been – did this last just a couple of times. Every time I hear a player, I go, ah, okay. These, I think of these are maybe even more, more known guys than last time. Okay. I, I did feel like there was a couple like real fringe fourth liners in last time. So I don't, this could be interesting. You got, you're either going to absolutely get this right or, um, you know, it's going to be actually a good balance here, but I, I feel like there was definitely, you had a one, the first couple last time, but then there were some real hard ones. I, I just looking back on, I don't think you even had a chance on. So um, there was there was one yesterday that you had said that I was like, damn. I'm trying to think who it was though. Now, what was the context here? I think we were at your house. I, I can't remember. This is not good podcasting, anyways. But we were talking about a player, and you said, yeah, like the. Or maybe he's in the group chat. It was about Dallas. Oh no, it was Joe Pavelski, right? No, I know who you're talking about. I thought it was Matt Zuccarello, wasn't Matt it? Matt Zuccarello, yes, it was Matt Zuccarello. Um, yes, that, that's exactly what it is. It was, yeah, we were playing because we we're talking about def, uh, fantasy hockey traits, and you said uh, Dallas's best forward, Max, or third best forward, Max Zuccarello. So I don't think he plays for Dallas. Yeah, that was, that was tough. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get started here. Uh, here's, I think, the easiest one on the list. And um, I don't know if many people know, just like, I feel like this is kind of people don't realize how good of a season he's having, but James Reimer. Primer, yes, Florida, isn't he? He is not in Florida. Oh, no, he no, so he left Florida. He was in Florida, right? Yes, he has been to it, and he he went to Carolina. Yeah, he was in Carolina, and where is he now? No, I used to love James Reimer. Even back when, like, I didn't really care about the Leafs, I loved James (laughs) Reimer. You know, like Johnny Superman videos, that kind yeah. of era. I love James Reimer. Oh, God. 
Gibson. He's on one of the shit Pacific teams, isn't he? That is correct. And one who won't be Anaheim because that's John Gibson. It won't be Vegas because they're actually good. It's not Vancouver. It's going to be, and it's not Edmonton. I know Edmonton. Mark's from in Calgary. It's going to be LA or San Jose. And I'll go with LA because they're in first alphabetically. Oh, no, that's Pedersen and uh, Quick, right? So it'll be San Jose. It is San Jose. He signed a two-year deal at $4.5 million total, 2.25 cap hit. Uh, he started the season on fire. Uh, like a, He's got a 9.15 save percentage, 2.81 goals against average. I think he's like 16th in goal saved above average, and that's without any filters. So there's a couple guys who have played like five games. I think he's closer to like 14th among actual starters. Um, yeah, he's he's having a, a bounce back season where, and he's the only reason the Sharks are even remotely close to the playoffs. Yeah, that's kind of cool because people just like kind of gave up on him for no real reason. Yeah, absolutely. And like he was fine, like he was fine he enough. Good years and bad years, but that's a pretty normal thing for a not elite goalie. Yeah, exactly. Like he got traded to San Jose in 15 16, posted a 938 in eight games with them, and only played one playoff game. Because I think that was the year Martin Jones was starting. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Then 2016-17, he played 43 games as uh, Florida's tandem starter and posted 920, 913 and 44 games the next year, and then dropped to a 936. And that's when people gave up on him. Got, uh, I believe, traded to Carolina, posted a 914, and then a 934 in three playoff games that year. And then last year at a 906 as the backup in 22 games and lost yeah. a spot to the Nelkovich. Which that was uh, nice. Yeah, and then uh, which they trade away anyways. But yeah, and then signed a deal this season with San Jose, and he's been uh, good again. Good for James Ryan. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, let's go to another one. This this K, you know, this one I think is probably the easiest one on the list now they look at it. But I was kind of watching one of this, this team's games the other night, and I went, shit, right, they're on this team. Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves. So Ryan Reeves. Starts in St. Louis. He either gets traded to Pittsburgh first before the expansion draft or and then gets drafted from the Penguins. So that would mean he's either in Vegas, and this is the obvious one, or he's not in Vegas, and I have no freaking idea, so I'm going to go with Vegas. He is with the New York Rangers. Oh, right, because of Tom Wilson. Yep. Uh, he was part of – that's why I wasn't sure, because yeah, if you thought Rangers yeah. right away, you'd remember they just went absolutely insane on their um, uh, offseason this year. But, yes, Vegas was in a cap crunch, so he's in the second year of his 1.75 cap hit. They flipped him to uh, New York, I believe. So I, They gave I, I, a penny raise, didn't they? Uh, slightly, I believe. It was one point. So New York is uh, – they just re-signed him for next year already as well, actually. So he, he has the exact same cap hit of 1.75, but he is already signed for next year now too. How could you go without a just stud <laughs> right winger like that? Eh? Yeah. He's at nine points in 40 games. Um, yeah. He, uh, I believe, so he was traded for a first round pick. I want to say from Pittsburgh when Tom Wilson broke them after that second cup. He's had nine points in 40 games and that's significantly above his career average. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, and then I believe he got traded again to Vegas. I don't think he was taken in the expansion draft. Was he not? 
I believe he was flipped again. Let me let me just check. But I, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh yeah, flurry. Yes, yes. So the, he was traded to uh, Vegas. Um, uh, no, not New York. Golden Knights acquired Ryan Reeves. They gave up Clem Costin for him, didn't they? Yeah, Clem Costin and a first. I want to say. I think Clem Costin was the first. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe. And then it was. Um, then yeah, and then they flipped him to Vegas for a uh, and a sorry. Team acquired for Ryan Reeves from the Pittsburgh Penguins and a fourth round pick uh, in the NHL entry draft. It doesn't say, oh, they sent Tobias Lindbergh to the Penguins. So, yeah, I, I honestly, to be honest, I only think of Ryan Reeves as a pen for the, even though he only played like one year with them and a Golden Knight and now a Ranger. I forgot that he started in St. Louis, to be honest. Yeah, that's he played in St. Louis like in my my peak Chell days. So I kind of think about him as a blue first. He had a lot of years there too, to be fair. Like he played yeah, like the amount of parts of seven years where he would exist on the trade block. You could give up like a sixth round pick for him if you wanted. Yeah, and I I feel like for me too, I remember him as Golden Knight because he had that Vander Kane rivalry as well. Like, and he was just a big part of that team overall. Um, so that makes sense. Um, all right, here's another one. James Neal. James Neal. So James Neal starts in Dallas. It goes to Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly. Then from Pittsburgh, he goes to Vegas. Um, he goes from Vegas to Calgary, and he gets flipped for Milan. Lucic, as um, he's still in Edmonton. Where did that contract end? I feel like Edmonton's too easy of an answer to. Or is he in Montreal? No, that's Hoffman. I'll stick with Edmonton. I have no idea. Edmonton bought him out this summer with uh, oh, two right. years remaining on his would deal. Would still be on that contract. Yeah, and he signed a one-year deal off a of PTO with the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, who he has that. two goals and two assists in 19 games. Um, he was also in Nashville for three years between Pittsburgh and Vegas. He got drafted from Nashville in the expansion draft. Right, because it was it was Hornquest for him. Hornquest right? for him. Yeah. But yeah, he started in Dallas, which I often forget about. Comes to Pittsburgh for four years, wins, uh, or sorry, doesn't win a cup with them. Um, yeah, then the flip for Hornquist, and yeah, he was right after the first cup and right be- or before the uh, next two. That uh, was yeah, Spence. a good uh, era where I just loved the Penguins. Like he was injured all the time, but like peak Sid. I will think of James Neal as a penguin for my entire life even though he only played there for four years like eight seasons ago yeah exactly well he had 80 he had his career year there too 81 points in 80 games 36 and 40 61 and 59 like it was by far the best of his career then we went to nashville 37 and 67 58 and 82 41 70 uh bounce back with 44 and 71 the next year including a 25 goal season which uh, got him that massive contract on the calgary flames uh, he was then flipped to Edmonton, where he scored 19 goals on McDavid's wing, uh, and then followed up with five and five goals, five assists for 10 points in 29 games the following year. Was healthy scratch quite a bit, 
And then we got bought out uh, last off season and as now with St. Louis and not going to lie, I'd be shocked if he is still in the NHL next year. It kind of feels like this is his last year. Yeah. He shouldn't have been in the NHL this year. Yeah, probably not. No, like, um, and with 19 games, I'm assuming he's being healthy scratched in St. Louis at times too. I would think so. Uh, okay. Let's switch to. I, okay. I, I feel like you might get this one. I don't know. I, let's switch to a front office person though. Jim Rutherford. Jim Rutherford. Jim Rutherford. He's like a shadow GM somewhere, isn't he? He's fired from Pittsburgh or he steps away. I kind of forget. It's a stupid team. <laughs> I'm going to pull up the old cap-friendly teams list. I, I have confidence in this one. I think you're going to get it. Hmm. It's a team like... Like, no one be... Is it Vancouver? It is Vancouver. There we go. He, he is their uh, president of hockey operations, I believe, because uh, I, I wrote this one. I, admittedly, I wrote this one down about t- two weeks ago before they did their assistant GM and GM hiring. Yeah. Um, so us talking about, I think, on last week's podcast, I kind of went, ah, oh, shit, like that might yeah. ruin it a little bit. But uh, yeah, he is uh, kind of the ghost. You got it right. I think he's kind of like the ghost GM there because. They obviously hired an assistant GM and a GM who have been officially been in that role. So, and the assistant GM was hired before the general manager. So it kind of feels like he has last say there, but uh, yeah. He's like Ryan Burke was in Calgary or whatever. Exactly. That, that is the exact uh, thing. Um, All right, let's do one more. I'll give you another X leaf player. See if you can break the tie here. You've got two right so far and two wrong. Jimmy VC. Jimothy, Timothy VC. Jimmy VC. He's drafted by. Where he drafts with, he doesn't sign with. He's drafted by Nashville to force his way out to New York, specifically New York. He goes to Buffalo and sucks because I remember all the Night Rider tweets about him. <laughs> um, he goes to Toronto, makes it in the Leaf documentary. Kind of looks like an idiot. I never did watch that, but everybody said he looks like nobody thought he came out looking good. And then he's a Canuck, isn't he? He was a Canuck for a part of time last year. He is not anymore. Uh, he, su- he signed a one-year deal this offseason with the New Jersey Devils. Oh. He is at an 800K cap hit, uh, 11 points in 41 games, six goals, five assists. Uh, I don't think he's done much with them, though. Other than that, I don't think he tries to play very well. Uh, yeah, very, very under the radar. Scores maybe 10 goals and kind of gets caved in. Yep, uh, that has been about his career. 16 goals, 11 assists, 17 goals, 11 assists, 17, 18, 9, and 11, 5, and 2. Uh, sorry, well, I guess five and five because he had zero goals, three assists in 20 games with Vancouver last year, and then six and five this year. Uh, I should yeah. say, there is legitimate value in players like Jimmy BC as long as they're really cheap. 
Yeah, I mean, at 800K, if he's the devil's 12th form, 11 points and four, like on pace for 22 points is fine. Yeah, like you could do a lot worse as a 12th forward. He's going to score like 10 goals a year. That's not he's, worse for your depth. He's the classic where if he was a seventh round pick, people would be praising this for like great scouting or whatever. A hundred percent. But because he was a third rounder who made a ton of noise and then got so much hype coming out of college, I think it was. Um, yeah, out of Harvard. Because he had 46 points in 33 games his last year at Harvard. And that's when everyone, like, remember the classic Dreger tweet of like, if the Leafs sign VC, that makes <laughs> Nylander expendable. Yeah. Just like an all timer kind of tweet. But uh, yeah, all right. Nylander finally started putting up points to go with his underlying numbers. Yeah, it's it's been at this point where it's like it's clear that even like I feel like the the, the annoying thing now is mainstream media is doing a revisionist history. Like, no, we didn't hate the contract at the time. It's like, yeah, you were trying to trade him and call him a bum for three years because he signed that contract. Get out of here. Literally, the one of the best litmus tests for hockey intelligence is what did you think of William Nylander after the 2018-19? And a stunning amount of very prominent people failed that, would fail that Well, and even the best is just like when the contract was signed, I can remember specifically you and I came on here and went, because I believe we had um, Totally Offside and Ian Tullock on as well, on separate, on separate things, because they went both ways on it. And we went, yes, this is probably about a 400K overpay now, but in two to three years, this is going to look like a steal. And yep. that is exactly what it's like. And, and we were not alone in that, obviously. Like basically Every anyone. smart person was yeah, able Anyone to- who understood what a Corsi, like Corsi was, un- yeah. knew that this was going to be the case. And now like, the mainstream. blindly hate him for being Swedish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now it's like the, the media that ripped on that deal for like three years are now like, oh yeah, well, it was an overpay at the time. It's like, like I guess by about 400K, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, was like, thing. it was an overpay. Everybody's like, oh, well, look at David Pasternak. It's like, oh, you overpaid this guy by 400K relative to the best contract in the entire <laughs> freaking NHL. Oh, no. Yeah, like, it's just, oh, that was insane. But yeah, Your it's... terrible. Uh, are Pasternak and McKinnon. Shocking <laughs> that it wasn't a better value deal than that because they didn't give them league men or some shit. Like, they would have <laughs> to beat those contracts. Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> just an absolute wild time. Uh, that's all I got, I think. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, we'll probably be back next week, I think. There's, with All-Star break, there might not be as much to talk about, but I think they're starting to play games right again on the Monday. So I would assume we'll be back again for next weekend. Uh, I'm assuming this podcast will probably come out Saturday, I think. Uh, recording on Thursday night. So uh, as always, you can go check my workout at lastrunonhockey.com. I'm going to try and get it. I had a piece last week about the Nick Holden extension um, and just what it means for Ottawa's future and the blue line there. Uh, and then I think I'm going to try and do a piece on the recent uh, month or so of play lately and their underlying numbers. Uh, so look out for that. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66 and all of his uh, work at actionnetwork.com. And thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you all next week.